Hi, welcome to Behind Every Employer, a podcast that explores the intersection of workforce development and education and searches for solutions to a more talented, skilled, and productive workforce of the future. Join us as we chat with employers, educators, and students who want to join that mission. This podcast is being sponsored by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education. Now to our hosts, Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. Hello, Anson. How are you? Hey, Jeff. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I, I, I hear you've been on the road this week. I've been on the road this week. I'm just coming back from your fair state of, of Texas. I was in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest and uh, just met some remarkable people. South by Southwest has their EDU conference, which is right before their main event. And I, I have to tell you, every time I get so energized when I come home because I meet some great people and learn so much. And this time, believe it or not, the one thing, the big takeaway was there's a lot of employers there. Yeah. I was shocked. I was glad to spend some time with Dollar General and a whole bunch of employers that are out there that are really putting some money and passion into adult education. So, uh, yeah, it was a great few days. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I've been to South by, you know, like three times. And uh, every time I spend an, uh, another hour planning just what sessions I'm going to go to, it's just like three hours of prep to figure out how to run across the facilities and find those rooms and stuff. It is a massive, wonderful conference. And I love the business aspect of it. It is so well done on that uh, that dimension. Now you were in Austin, you know, I'm in San Antonio. And so I hope you didn't pick up on the the taco wars we have between who's got the better breakfast taco, yeah, San Antonio or Austin. So yeah, um, <laughs> uh, you probably got vetted at the airport about that, but uh, we're glad to have you back. And uh, I know that conference was such a lead on a topic we're gonna talk about today, which is digital learning and digital literacy. And that has gotten me fired up lately. I am so excited about um, every everything I look at now is uh, prepping us and getting us ready for all the activities around uh, the Digi Digital Equity Act. $2.7 billion out there uh, to the states coming in the next few years to help on the equity issues uh, that we need so much in our communities to connect them through you know the hard hardware and the wires of broadband but also the access for our underserved communities and i keep uh, just thinking about how can businesses get more involved in this how can adult education colleges get involved in this because uh, it is a place where every state has got to be positioned and ready to go when grants come to the states and these things uh, hit the streets. So I'm getting fired up about it. I'm going to do my piece. I know our guest today is just a big digital uh, guru, and he's going to be all on this stuff, too. So that's what's got me fired up right now. And I, I, I just really am excited about where things are going in a digital lane. It's kind of, you know, I call it the upside of uh, uh, the pandemic. You know, the upside of the pandemic is really this renewed, just really new renaissance when it comes to thinking about digital for our underserved communities, for sure. Yeah. And, and the one thing that, that I really saw when I was out there, too, was a, lot, a real acknowledgement of how much more we have to do, not only just educating people, but not assuming. You know, there's yeah. so many people today that are in the workforce that still need um, digital skills. They still need to skill up. And, uh, and are really getting in the game and players are starting to get it. And more importantly, I think we're all starting to get it. We know we have to put some investment and some dollars into it. We have to not only make sure the hardware is there, and, but we really have to think about how do we get access um, to everybody that needs it because it's, it's just so vitally important. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's, let's tee up our guest here. Um, 
I'm just so excited about having uh, Howled in on the on the uh, podcast today. Uh, this I, I love his tagline. You know, he brands himself as an experience junkie. Uh, born in Vietnam, now in the United States, he has worked all across Europe, Southeast Asia, United States, in a wide variety of sectors, and he brings this broad perspective of different areas of the digital landscape when it comes to working on his passion, which is really nurturing these creative com communities and creative confidence within companies and in uh, local communities. And I really want to ask him, he's got two nonprofits helping students that are non-tech nerds um, out there becoming tech nerds and helping them spark their creative skills and their innovative fire uh, to get them ready for the digital economy. So this is like digital week for us on the podcast. <laughs> Love it. And I'm so, so excited yep, yep. about where we're going. Awesome. And so let's take a quick break yeah. so we can give Hal a lot of time and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Behind Every Employer podcast with Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. Our special guest today, Ho Dan, will be joining us next. Stay with us. Hey, Hal, how's it going? Pretty good, man. I love the intro music, man. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like to keep it moving here for sure. Hey, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm so happy to have you on today. Uh, we sit on the Digital Us Committee together and, you know, I get into these committees. Sometimes I know you do too. And um, sometimes you're trying to find your direction, trying to figure out what your lane is. Is this a committee for me? Um, and it's somehow you and I really latched on, uh, really coming from different dimensions and finding some common ground, which I thought was just really exciting. Uh, I always like to learn these lessons about like, you know, on, on paper, we might not seem to have anything in common, but man, on this, we, we found something in this, this middle lane, but I've really been looking forward uh, to talking to you. So I want to start here and kind of set the stage for our listeners. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, your past working in tech migration and what you're doing at the company now in pro that you've pretty recently uh, transitioned to. Yeah. So uh, for past 20 something years, uh, I've been leading digital transformation. I mean, I was part of the first uh, Internet 1.0 and then also part of the bust of Internet 1.0. So I know the ups <laughs> and downs. Uh, but, um, you know, throughout my entire career, uh, I worked with uh, companies to develop and, and deploy technologies. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, on, on the results uh, associated with it was uh, laying off people because we were, you know, either automating or digitizing processes that uh, didn't need humans to do uh, that type of work anymore. Uh, and, you know, early in my career, I was just going along doing my job. And uh, as I got older and wiser, uh, I started feeling uncomfortable with the results of the work that I was doing. So I started focusing on how do we get everyone uh, trained and involved and, and, and can benefit from all this digital stuff that we're doing. So, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been doing both uh, the digital transformation and also uh, the digital upskilling that we're going to talk about uh, uh, today uh, that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad to hear that. And let me let me give the audience a little bit of background. So we sit on um, the Digital Us, that's U.S., the Digital, Digital Us Employer Network. And uh, when I'm on those, like I said, I'm always looking for house feedback. Uh, it's one of those groups where we've got a few firebrands that are always out there throwing some great ideas on the table. Um, but but let me tell everybody about Digital Us. It's part of Upskill America uh, at the Aspen Institute. Just Google it up. You'll be able to find out more about it. But this is really, uh, we sit on this employer network group, and I, I really think it's a great team that's really 
having this kind of space that we get together and just talk about these issues from really different perspectives. You know, I'm coming from food production, Tyson Foods. We've got folks from tech. We've got folks from publishing, folks from uh, retail uh, technology. And um, just to hear kind of the different perspectives coming in from different angles in the center there on digital deployment and, and uh, upskilling uh, America's workforce, I think is just so exciting. Um, so check it out, folks. And, and I want to ask you a question. So, you know, the committee brought us together and it's one of the areas that you and I just really hit it off. And one thing you said early on, um, and, and, and we really had some good discussions about it was uh, framing, you know, kind of like how we frame our views on things with certain biases and biases about upskilling. Um, could you describe that more for our listeners? I, I really find that aspect uh, so exciting. Well, I think that's where you and I really bonded because yeah. uh, you exposed a huge bias that I have, which is, you know, I, I grew, I, I'm not what they call a, a, a digital uh, native. I'm a digital immigrant, right? So I didn't grow up with an iPad in my hand, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, I embrace it. Um, and I assume that everyone in today's world uh, embraces technology. Uh, and uh, that is an incorrect bias. Uh, and uh, I learned that the hard way because as we're deploying uh, all these new technologies, uh, we, we have to understand that not everyone is going to feel comfortable interacting with a tablet, inter yeah. working next to a robot, right? Yeah. Understanding that AI actually makes better decisions uh, than their gut tells them. Uh, so, so that was something that I had to learn on the job and, you know, Anthony, you and I talked about it, right? It's like, uh, we just have to come in with an open mind. And as we address, uh, this gap, when it comes to digital skilling, uh, we have to start from the very beginning and Anthony, you're the one that, that advised me. There's people out there that are working that don't under, that, uh, can't understand the concept of a password that blew my mind. Uh, and that made me, when you exposed me to that, it made me go and talk to our employees. And I realized that we do have a percentage, small in our world, but there's people that don't understand the concept of uh, password because English is not their first language. So, right. so a lot of great learnings around that. I think, yeah. And Jeff, I want to bring you in on this too, because I know this is something you experience all the time yourself in your daily work. But, you know, this goes back to this digital equity piece you know, Congress, the, the, the president, they want us to really get to these communities. And uh, it's it's this this bias. I, I, I liked hearing that from you because it was a good discussion. I see it in my work, you know, um, uh, when I work with some of our people in our IT department about deployment of technology. And they just like, you know, the other day I had this conversation about you brought up passwords, uh, about the passwords. And this folk, the, this fellow from IT said, well, you know, you should be able to teach that like in, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. And, and I'm like, do you understand that we're talking about individuals that don't know like the Roman alphabet uh, and, uh, and, and what special symbols are on a keyboard? Uh, we're talking two or three weeks of training at best to develop a password, not two or three hours or 20 minutes. Jeff, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, so I no, I so agree. But I think it goes deeper than that. Um, how I, what I see is in the communities I work with, some of the most marginalized communities in the country. And I remember being in a class and telling everyone, you know, go over and all you need to do is move the mouse to get all the computers active. And they literally were looking around the room for the mouse. Like they did, they really didn't understand. And we're talking, we just don't assume anything anymore from yeah. even the simplest thing of turning a computer on 
to really navigating and saving a document. I mean, the most basic basic things are sometimes the most challenging when you're not when you're not used to them. And and that's really something that I think we have to we have to get through everyone's head is that you know digital literacy is something that um, oftentimes people are a little bit embarrassed about. And, um, and, and it's a, a reality that, you know, they face. And I, rem I remember, um, I remember not long ago working with someone who had had a real bad challenge and was very extremely embarrassed. Uh, the fact that he couldn't actually download his resume um, in a, a website that he was trying to get a job for. And he just yeah. didn't understand the concept of how to download something. Um, and again, I, I just think we just make these assumptions sometimes in our society because many of us have not had that challenge and we've had the privilege of being raised in, in an environment where we were able to learn it. So um, I'm great, grateful to have this discussion and really educate not only employers, but everyone to the challenges that people that are marginalized in our country are facing today. Absolutely. I, I want to share a couple of other aspects of this, too, that just came to my mind. One is... Uh, you know, you're coming from Philadelphia, Jeff, you know, urban area. And there's 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 different levels of you know, like kind of connection and disconnection for different reasons on digital. Um, I work with a lot of communities that are very rural mm -hmm. and I've interviewed a lot of workers that this is what really struck me. Um, they're very rural. So broadband is rare and, and difficult. Um, but I've 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 spoken to workers in their 20s that don't own a computer. Um, can't use a computer. Uh, they may have a cell phone, smartphone, and and they they just have like an Xbox that they you know they play games and stuff like that. But they're way younger than I am. Um, they're digital natives in the generation, but they are not. Wow! And it's very hmm. surprising. And I I don't know what is is I I don't know what you know how to analyze that sometimes, but I've always been very struck by that because we have a bias back to a uh, house point, a bias that younger means more digitally savvy. And I find these potholes in that understanding. It's just not the case. And you mentioned, you know, the resume piece, Jeff, I, I have a story that I still am kind of, it, it was like a, a, a real foresight that uh, I stumbled upon Back in 2005, 2006, so frame your, frame your mind back then, I was working with a national dollar retailer uh, uh, that was about to open up 640 stores in Texas. They were in 2005, six, they wanted to put uh, uh, kiosks in the stores for individuals to apply for jobs. So like have your customer apply for a job in the store and I was amazed at the time thinking, have you even wondered if your customers could use a computer kiosk in 2005 to apply for jobs? Um, because they were wanting to get rid of, you know, the, the paper-based uh, um, system of, of, of resumes. So to me, that was just like one of these aspects where, um, you know, that was 2005. Of course, this is like the default setting now for resumes, but back then, um, the company had never asked the question, can our customers use a computer kiosk to fill out a job application? And I remember you guys probably remember, too, seeing those kiosks and Home Depots and stuff way back when I never saw somebody sitting at them applying never. for jobs. You know, so it, it, that to me is one of those things. And that's probably, you know, a, you're kind of laying there, uh, uh, how in terms of like. Who was advising this company on this strategy? Because you know it cost millions of dollars, 
And uh, by the time those kiosks got used, they were probably out of date. You know, it was, it's, it's definitely just um, something where uh, folks like yourself, I think, are so critical when it comes to deployment. Um, so, yeah, I want to talk a little bit on a sidebar on this topic, because how in your bio you mentioned two nonprofits that you work with with students. Uh, tell us a little bit more about those and what that work is all about, because that was very intriguing to me. Yes. So, um, you know, one of the things I've learned is uh, try to get the, if you get people exposed early on, it, uh, you know, around technologies and, and ideas and being open minded, then, uh, you know, it makes it easier as you get older to embrace change. So yeah. uh, my first startup was back in 2012. Uh, wow. I just realized I was doing the math in my head. That was like 10 years ago. Uh, but uh, my wife and I, um, we wanted to, well, the story was, we were talking to my nieces and nephews and they were in, um, in high school and uh, they had, in my opinion, they had no common sense uh, because they were, they were just going through school, learning stuff for tests and they, and they, they had no idea what they were learning. They just fill in a blank and true or false right. and they pass the test and they were getting right. straight A's. But when you talk to them, I was like, really, you're not going to be skilled for, for the real world. So um, we, uh, we decided, why don't we go to, um, schools and uh, teach them how to actually apply the stuff that they're learning. And yeah. we went through a couple of models, but uh, the one that worked really well was uh, design thinking is an innovation framework that uh, a lot of companies uh, want their employees to have. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I, I learned design thinking. I love it. So my wife and I started going to schools and teaching kids how to apply design thinking into their curriculum. Uh, and, you know, apply what they're learning, right? If they know Newton's law of physics, what does that actually mean? Let's go build some uh, some gravity machines so that they can apply what that means. And right. we had a blast. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, during COVID-19, uh, we, we had to stop doing it. Uh, yeah. but, but during COVID, we decided, hey, we don't want to lose sight of, uh, of you know, opportunities to, to engage. So we started another company with a buddy of mine who uh, has a company in China, and it's called StemSoft. And what we do there is we realize, uh, again, talking to uh, our high school, um, and at this time, uh, my niece and nephew are in high school, uh, they only know um, countries from what they see on TV. And, and they had this image of China. I'm like, that's not China. Uh, and then, interestingly enough, we go talk to high school, school students in China, and they only know, uh, you know, they, they think everyone is friends. I mean, they, everyone watches friends. They, they think everyone just has to right? So, so we decided, why don't we just do a social experiment and just connect high school students from the U.S., uh, high school students in China, and just have them talk to each other and teach each other stuff. And it was amazing, or still is amazing, because we're still doing that uh, today. Oh, fantastic. Great, great, great story there. I, I, I want to shift the discussion here a little bit about some another uh, thing that we've talked about. Um, and this was really enlightening to me. And you've got a good like runway of experience with this and seeing how businesses have uh, kind of adapted and uh, and really changed their mindsets or should be changing their mindsets on who is delivering the training at a company. You know, uh, it, it's actually a discussion that we have at work at Tyson sometimes talking about like, where do these programs best sit? You know, is it human resources? Who does the training? And that's been kind of like the legacy default. But how do you see the delivery of training um, shifting? Um, because I think that is really a dynamic piece. And, you know, any bureaucracy, business, school, university, 
that takes while to change these mindsets, you know, uh, and uh, I'd love to hear your insights on what you've seen and maybe recommendations on where you think it ought to be going. I tell you what, if I was young and had the mindset of, you know what, let me go do a startup, I would do a startup in this space because yeah. it, it, it is ripe for disruption because, you know, answering to your point, uh, the way training has happened in pretty much all the companies I work for is, uh, you know, you, you develop some training material in PowerPoint and then you give it to HR and they just continuously give that same training. Uh, and it's worked because, you know, if you think about it uh, in the past, uh, especially in, in our, our frontline employees, right? Certain things they need to do. Uh, and it's it's standardized, right? It's a, it's a standard operating procedure. And you really don't have to be an expert to go teach it because they just need to follow a process. Yep. The problem is in today's world around digital, technology changes every week. Uh, and, and then also we all, you know, we always have an app that always has upgrades. So there's no training material that you can create today that in my opinion, a digital world is going to be relevant a month from now. And then most importantly, uh, giving it to people that don't know it well enough to train, because there's going to be tons of questions, uh, they won't know how to answer it. Mm -hmm. So we're really uh, investigating new ways of training, which is we've got a digital team uh, in, our, in our company, and they are going to be heavily involved in training. Uh, because, you know, the digital team is the team and the technology teams are the teams that actually uh, have come up with this technology, uh, deploying it. They know it. So they have to partner with HR or operations, whoever it is, and be heavily involved in training. And then most importantly, uh, have frequent training. Right. Uh, and then that's that's on the, uh, you know, uh, the, tr the teacher side. Uh, but you also have to change the mindset of the employees and having them realize that, if you go through training on day one or week one of starting a job uh, in the past, you didn't have to go to training for like another year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> and, and you still got your job done. But the thing is, in today's world, you have to be open minded to realize that you're going to be retrained pretty much every month because we're coming out with latest and greatest uh, technologies, uh, automation and all this stuff in, in, in a digital world that. You just got to have that open mindset that I got to keep on learning, which I think uh, a lot of people are embracing and are enjoying. Right? So it's interesting you talk that way because honestly, it is it's such a problem in the workforce because, you know, we don't continue to train. And now what's happening is more and more companies. I was on a panel last week with uh, Pico, a big energy employer and Comcast. And um, we were, they were talking about now looking within their company because the labor market now is really hard and people are looking for talent. They're looking for people in the workforce and, um, and they're realizing, you know, we got it right here. We got all this talent. We just yeah. got to train them. We got to skill them. We got to get them educated to move up. And we just don't do that really well. We've never had. And, you know, in part, it's because I think companies never saw the return on investment. I really understood it. That if we invested in our own employees and really tried to give them the skill to really continue to move, they could move up that ladder and they really could progress. And I think it's because of some of the work you're doing, Helen, across the country, the employers are starting to get it. You and Anson as well, trying to get that message through. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I, you know, one thing that came to mind as you're speaking there, how to, you know, and this this kind of gets us, you know, back into bridging into, you know, the education community too. And I'm sure you experienced this this you know this week over at South by Southwest, uh, Jeff. But the discussion's been on the table. You know, the pandemic kind of disrupted the conference world, the learning world of the conference, which was largely you know love it or hate it, 
drill and kill presentations, PowerPoint, you know, death, you know, death by PowerPoint, whatever. Um, and, you know, when we transferred our conferences onto online platforms, one thing I noticed, you know, and now I'm really seeing it is that we were able to modularize what we were teaching and do things like live polling and do things like breakout rooms and do things like chat. You know, I, I was in a session recently where um, it was in person uh, with about 25 people online at the same time. So hybrid with about 80 people and, and then a presenter that was online and one that was in person. So it was a kind of a full production. And I can tell you the people online had a much better experience than the people in the audience. And I was sitting there saying, like, why did I come up here to go to this event? Um, but the one of the reasons why, which I think is really exciting, and this goes back to, you know, how companies could do more dynamic things with training. Uh, definitely in education, we need to be thinking this way. While presenters are speaking online, the chat is going wild. You can't do that in a live audience because you can't turn around unless you're just really a bore and talk to your buddy, you know? Um, so I just, there was this more dynamic nature. And I think smart people in the training world are going to think about how to take what we've learned in, in these online environments and do onboarding training with, you know, online where instead of bringing people in and putting them into a hotel room for a week or something like that, modularize it, put it online, make it dynamic. Um, because we've learned those skills during the pandemic. So I, I, I really just. Anson, I like, got to interrupt because I just I got to tell you that yeah. I was at South by Southwest. And, and honestly, they had the greatest thing. They had this app that you got on your phone and you could actually in the audience while you were live. And this was a blended, too. So it was live and virtual yeah. that you could actually ask a question from the audience. And what it did was it automatically people could vote for your question online oh, wow. so they could see who what the most common question was. And they went right to that. So I, I think we're starting to get it, Hanson. We're starting yeah. to get it. But think about that, how like I'm sure companies, some companies are doing this. And there's no doubt about it. But I mean, to me, that's the new normal for training. Uh, and who's delivering it. And, and really part of it is, you know, not just trainers, but almost a production team. Yeah. Um, because it takes a lot of logistics to make that effective. Um, so, so really good insights there. Uh, I, I, another question I have coming up here, we, we've talked about this, but um, we definitely are seeing this um, at uh, Tyson where I'm working. Every company's seeing it. You've been really on the, on the front of it, which is the whole topic of the migration to new technologies. And, you know, uh, what are the dynamics you see when companies are making decisions about making buying new technology? Uh, where are they short in their thinking? Where are they long in their thinking? I brought up the dollar store uh, example where somebody was, you know, bankrolling millions and millions on uh, uh, online kiosks for, you know, getting a job. And I'm sure that person was not deploying it and probably uh, was not around to see what happened in the situation. But what does that look like? What do you see good companies doing when it comes to deploying new technologies? Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in well, there, there's a lot of uh, things that are happening that is different from, you know, when I first started working on deploying new technologies. Uh, the yeah. first thing is, uh, you know, just like we said before, involve your end users uh, in the assessment and usage of it before you buy that new piece of software. But yeah. the one thing I want to highlight is um, 
many companies are spending uh, millions and, and you know a total of trillions of dollars today on all this new technology. And the problem uh, that we're seeing, uh, and you know, it's not always the, the case, but a majority of them is not because the technology fails. Is because you didn't train your employees on how to use it. And it's quite interesting because you can have the best deployment. You can have a team that has gone out and, you know, a subset of your uh, employees and said, this is the right solution. This is how we should design it. And they go test it out and you release it out in the wild. And 80% of your employees go, I have no idea how to use it. Because, again, we make the assumption that people are, are, are open to and can learn new technologies and how to use it quickly. And that's incorrect. Uh, yeah. So so what we're doing today that I've seen a, a lot of success uh, when it comes to deploying technology is on day one, uh, training is not a, a line item that gets done uh, one week after production, after you go into production, yeah. right? Training is, and upskilling is discussed uh, on day one, saying, hey, we need a budget to start getting people first educated on why we are deploying this new technology, get them bought in on it get them wanting the technology and requesting it so that when we finally move it into production for them to use, they want it. So we don't have to like push it down their throats. Uh, they've been trained how to use it so they can take advantage of it. And then most importantly, they, they come back and say, Hey, I like it so much, but you know, can you add X, Y, and Z? And it just makes it better and better. So, so companies that can embrace that, uh, that uh, learning and upskilling training on day one of any type of new technology, I, I think it'd be very successful. Yeah, I, I, I love that idea. And, and I, I was trying to do some math, you know, I'm guessing at math problems, but I bet you, uh, you probably know the numbers here. But you know, I, I'm thinking like the ratio of like, technology cost for new deployments versus the training cost is probably like, you know, 100 to one. Yeah. Or, I, I don't know what it is. But yeah. it, it goes to your point in terms of um, this, this relationship with uh, the amount, the more training and long-term training like considered training not just like one off like you're saying the company that made the technology does the training they fly out of town and that's it you know but really building that in i bet you that's a hard sell in some companies in terms of like getting rid of these old mindsets you know it's really about reframing things um do you see that like in in the discussions you have with the businesses you worked with Oh, it, it is a total mind shift. And, yeah. and you know, I, I make it sound like it's easy and it's being done, but it's not right. But but, but we're taking the baby steps. Right. So so now, uh, you know, in my current role, I, I bring in technology, but I, I make sure that when we discuss an opportunity, the first thing I talk about is a business case. So I don't talk about technology uh, right away. And actually, it takes a couple of weeks before I bring up any type of technology. Yeah. But when I start bringing up technology, then I automatically say, hey, um, let's make sure people are aware of this technology. Right now, artificial intelligence is being discussed everywhere. But if you really take a look at people and their, and their mindsets around artificial intelligence, they're scared of it. Because in their mind, they're saying, you know what? All I read about is AI is going to take over the world. And most importantly, <laughs> take over my job. Uh, and, and one of the things that we are doing when we're deploying uh, AI, artificial intelligence, is we're saying it's good. Well, I personally believe sometime in the future that might be the case, but not anytime soon. Uh, but you still need a human to take the results of any type of artificial intelligence insights to actually do something with it. Okay. And, and so we're freeing the human up from all the data crunching and, and, and gut feeling and say, you know what, here's some options that AI gives you. 
but you're the one that makes the final decision. You're the one that actually takes action of it. So we need you. Uh, yep. and, and, you, and we also need to, you to tell us this AI is wrong, right? Because mm -hmm. the AI is not going to be right all the time. So, so once you have that type of discussion with people, especially around AI, and just replace the AI with any new technology, have them involved in the conversation so that they don't feel that it's going to take their job or, or do something negative for them and realize that you need them to get this technology to work. It opens up the conversation. You get a, a better support, better deployment. Yeah, Hal, it's interesting, too, because I think that the messaging has to be really clear is that we're willing to train you on this, right? Yeah. We're, we're not going to replace you. We're going to train you on it. We want to get you involved in all this. And it's funny, but uh, there was a great article that came out, a study came out during the pandemic, and it, it really talked about the fact that we really pushed ourselves. Um, it, this was inevitable. Like AI was is a, is a thing that's moving forward, and the pandemic kind of just accelerated things. And what we're really seeing in the marketplace is a fear. We're seeing the entry-level worker now is really fearful and not in the workforce, and they're not in the labor pool. Um, but we need to skill them. We need to get them so that they're the ones operating those machines. Yeah. They're they're making that those decisions. So um, it is it's something that's going to be here in the future. And I think the pandemic has kind of accelerated that whole process. It's a good point. I I, I love this idea of the you know, the branding of the fear. You know, it's like automation, AI, you know, what are the first things that come to the worker's mind, to our mind, you know, and that is something that you can get in front of. Um, but right now, I don't think that's happening. Uh, those things are being bandied about as being positive and assets and like, you know, future focused. Um, so and then and then this whole idea, I, I had a, a similar observation, Jeff, about uh, I mentioned, you know, a lot of the work I do is in very rural areas. And I had a real perceptive manager uh, talking about, you know, automation and, and how things are shifting and what the future looks like. And his observation was is just what Hal was saying, like, we still need the workers to 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 use and 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 check the quality and and work on you know be be the kind of critical eye, um, and this is our workforce. There's not another workforce out here in the rural area, you know. So we've got to bridge that gap. And man, that that was really almost kind of this like jarring discussion because I'm like, yeah, you know, you can't just replace a workforce. You you've got to grow. No company wants to do that. They want to grow their tenured workforce. You know, that's a big misconception that I've learned over the years. Um, there's no efficiencies there in laying off workers and finding new ones. And, you know, that kind of disruption has no upside, really. Um, and uh, it, it is something that um, is kind of a stereotype, I think, that, you know, folks that aren't in the industry uh, feel about that. And it's something definitely that workers, uh, uh, entry level workers, for sure, fear. Um, Anson, Anson, there's a great line by Henry Ford. He said, if I asked them what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely well i want to tee up here our uh get ready for our lightning round coming up here and, and i got one more question how and, and it's and it's kind of bleeds into from what we've been talking about but um from your this could be just some forecasting kind of see you know, edge of the seat forecasting for you here but if you think about you know uh that entry-level workforce that you know limited english workforce maybe pretty underskilled workforce. And then these new technologies, which on the surface may seem complicated and difficult and all those kind of things. But I'm wondering, uh, is there a space where things like VR and, and other things like that can really maximize helping bridge that gap? Do you see a lane like that 
um, from the kind of stereotypical, this is only going to get more digitally advanced. Do you see something where things get easier um, because of the introduction of technology? Yeah, well, well um, the, the concept of a citizen programmer where um, you don't have to actually know how to code to code is real. Uh, yeah. Because we're in the process right now of uh, training our non-IT people to actually develop code uh, in an environment where it's drag and drop. If you know how to do an Excel uh, Excel table and pivot table, you can write code uh, in the environments that are out there. So, so yeah, technology has made people that um, that you know made it easier for them to embrace uh, uh, certain digital uh, opportunities. But you know, the, the the thing that I've learned my experience with the frontline employees, especially around manufacturing, uh, is extremely hard workers. Uh, and, and Anson, you mentioned before, all we need to do, and I've seen it, is get them over the fear. Because once you get them over the fear of that technology, oh my gosh, they 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 embrace it, they use it, they come up with better ways than you would ever imagine how to use that technology. Uh, but but the hump is to overcome is that initial fear, and it can be done. Uh, and, and the thing that's quite interesting is. Uh, we're realizing that the, the workforce in the past where, you know, they have 20 years, 30 years of uh, tribal knowledge, uh, they get ready to retire. Uh, and, uh, you know, and also physically, they can't do a lot of that work that they've done in the yeah. past. So there's actually technology out there that would enable them to stay in the workforce and do knowledge transfer. Right. Yeah. And actually, instead of them being in a manufacturing line and, and tightening a screw, which they can't do anymore because, you know, they've been doing it for 20 years and, and their body's not really, uh, you know, uh, can do all that physical activity. Yep. They can now sit in front of a computer screen and actually navigate a robot that can do it because they know how to screw on that screwdriver or that, yep. that bolt or whatever. Right. And so, so technology is really enabling um, not just the, the younger generation to come in and embrace uh, this digital world, but also I'm seeing the older generation going, oh, you know what? Uh, in the past, I would have retired by now, but now I sit in front of a computer and I tell the computer what to do. And yeah. I, know, I know better than the computer. Uh, love and, and we love that. And that's all because and that's all driven by technology. And again, oh, I love get them over the fear. Get them over the yep. fear. I think it's I think it's a branding of this fear. It's it's really getting in front of that. You know, something else I've seen that uh, it really uh, it just takes things out of a different direction for individuals that speak other languages uh, is you know the use of like digital uh, interpreters. Um, and Google Voice, you know, it's like, you know, why am I worried about teaching people English now? Like we we can just <laughs> use Google Voice and I'm seeing it. I'm like, man, this is totally disruptive to what Jeff and I do in our day to day jobs, you know. Um, but it, but it's not. And it's, of course, not about discounting English, but it's about like um, we don't have to use that as this constraint that, you know, has really just stopped us dead in our tracks in some instances in terms of deploying things, because now we just can kind of have a handheld device. We, we, I have neighbors across the street from, from Cuba that don't speak any English at all. And you can talk with them in, in, using your cell phone now That's with awesome. Google voice. And it's, it's yeah. And, and, and these things at work really can make things safer, more efficient and allow you to get the talent and not worried about the language, you know, and I think that's just uh, really, really drives it. So, Jeff, you want to take us into our lightning round? You got some comments here? Yeah, I am. Um, we're going to take a break and we're going to come right back. But I do. I get a funny story when we come back okay. about Google Voice and a recent experience. But we're going to come back on the lightning round. We'll be right back. You're listening to Behind Every Employer. Uh, 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 
behind every employer. And this is the lightning round. Um, we are going to be for the next few minutes, and before we close out, we're going to be talking about things that um, that strike you. Just we hope lightning doesn't strike you. But um, <laughs> I want to kick us off because I got something funny that happened. We're just got talking about Google and Google Voice, yeah. and I told you in the beginning of the show that I was away um, for a few days. Came home last night and uh, walked upstairs, and uh, I, I said, um, as I turned my lights on, I said, uh, "Hey Google, I missed you," and didn't expect a response. But here, I this swear, this is the response I got. I missed you too, just like a, a, a cookie misses chocolate chips. And, and I was I was like, where did that mouth come from? It was the greatest thing. I was like, I had a full discussion with Google Voice um, and my alarm clock. Uh, we definitely are making some progress. But I just want to say that, you know, one of the things you can do out there right now is, you know, go to your library, go to a place and or just find access somewhere um, that you have and start learning. Just yeah. go on to, I know Google has some great platforms that are totally free. Just don't be afraid of it. Jump in. And if you even Google um, free, um, you know, free digital literacy, there are tons of material out there that are totally for free and just get on, start playing, really learn the basics. And if it needs, if it means us figuring out a password or how to operate a mouse or whatever it is, you know, that's what has to happen. You got to start at the very beginning and work your way all the way up, but just do it. A lot of great platforms out there. My call to action for everyone out there that strikes me is digital literacy is thing today, tomorrow, and the future. And we have to embrace it and learn from it. And I hope everybody will go out and take a few steps to do that. All right. And I'm going to get my call to action. And, and I'm going to, uh, I want to get back to our skateboard discussion we were having beforehand before we close this thing out. So don't let us close out without that one. But here's my call to action. And it goes back to some comments I made earlier. Uh, the Digital Equity Act. If you're listening and you're in any state or uh, right now it's at a state level discussion, but you need to start Googling, you know, my state uh, Digital Equity Act and start trying to find out what is happening because there's going to be block grants that go to states for planning around digital equity businesses adult education uh, uh your community colleges nonprofits. we need to be in there because the goal is to find out what are the best ways to reach underserved populations so there'll be these planning grants that every state will get and then there's going to be uh, these are like capacity building grants and then there will be competitive grants that local communities can go for and those that are situated well, that have these discussions, that have multifaceted partners are going to win on that. And then I can tell you right now, there's going to be communities that are not going to win on that because they did not mobilize early. And these things take time. It's kind of a, a new era for us, a new area, too, for us to build out in. So that's my call to action is get involved in your state on what's happening in the Digital Equity Act. How what's your call to action for the audience here? Uh, I would say as any person listening to us, my call to action is look at your biases uh, when it comes to technology. Uh, as in, if you're scared of technology, don't be. And, and it's not scary. I mean, the, I mean, it used to be scary, but uh, we, we've made technology so easy these days uh, to go learn. Uh, so go look for opportunities, go learn that technology because it, it's out there to learn it uh, quite easily. Uh, and then uh, on the other side, companies that are deploying technologies. Again, look at your biases. Uh, don't mm -hmm. be like me and assume that everyone uh, is okay working next to a robot. Uh, they're not, right? And then they can interact with a, with a touch screen. They cannot. So make sure that you don't leave behind uh, those people because mm -hmm. you know, some of those people are like amazing employees. 
And yes. all you need to do is help them build that bridge to get them to, to get over that fear. And you've, you've got, you've got a, you've got your star employees for another generation. So uh, that's my call to action. Oh, I love that embrace. That's fantastic. Okay. So now we're going to go to the skateboard. Okay. So, so how, when I, before we started this, uh, I was looking at your bio and I saw professional skateboarder and I was like, Oh man, that's awesome. And, and, and I've got a, a BMX background and was very competitive in that and freestyle. So you and I share the half pipe together, but uh, we learned prior to recording today that there's another half pipe story. So Jeff, tell us your half pipe story. Yeah. So I knew we were going to end on this, but we might as well send them out smiling because you know, so my definition of a half pipe really that should they forgot half of it. It should be a full pipe because um, I had the opportunity with my nephews and my daughter to go and uh, try skateboarding. And they got me up on a half pipe pretty high up. And um, let's just say that um, about 15 minutes after I attempted this, my daughter was running around looking for my wife. And, you know, and I think daddy's dead. I think daddy's dead. And I was laid out at the bottom of the half pipe. And, yeah, I, I needed a full pipe to get me around. And it just didn't happen. But um, just crazy. I, I respect so much uh, your talent on a skateboard because I got to tell you, it's not easy. <laughs> it's a lot harder than it looks. I love that story. I love that story. Okay. So this has been a great podcast. How, how can we get a hold of you? How can our listeners get a hold of you? Uh, I mean, uh, I will. Uh, I mean, I've got a Twitter account uh, at H H N D I N H. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, How Den H A O D I N H. Uh, link me in because I'm very active there. Uh, and uh, you know, I would love to hear comments from people around what they're doing around upskilling and, and reskilling. And then most mm-hmm. importantly, you know, I, I just love talking to people around uh, digital. Uh, I I am a nerd by uh, you know I was a skateboarder at one time, but uh, unfortunately, these days I'm in front of a computer most of the time. But uh, I love talking about technology and how we can leverage it in in, in our aspect of of, uh, of life uh, and uh, make uh, technology make our lives better. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, take us out, Jeff. It's been a great discussion. It has been. How? Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Behind Every Employer, and we'll see you. We'll see you shortly. You've been listening to the Behind Every Employer podcast with Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. This podcast is sponsored by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education. Check us out on coaid.org, on the Coaid YouTube channel, on Spotify, Facebook, or Instagram.